as we begin. Our dearest Heavenly Father, we open your word this morning and to inquire therein. And the only way that we can hope to understand is by your Holy Spirit. My atheist friends read it, but they cannot grasp it or understand it. And so, Father, we pray this morning that you, by your Spirit, would give us insights into the things written here in this little letter of James. Bless it to our hearts and to our minds. And bless this time together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Chapter 2. At some point we're going to do a little review. There's several lessons that we have learned. One is about doubting. Amen. Um, No doubting. The person who doubts cannot expect to get anything from God. Oh my goodness. Does that condemn me? (laughs) Yeah, I'm afraid so sometimes. Uh, But when they say doubt, um, you remember I used the term uh, double-minded, schizophrenic, two two different. It's really not just about doubting. If if a doubter, if somebody who had doubts, any doubt, didn't get their prayers answered, you all are in trouble. <laughs> just, and so am I. That is to say, he's talking about someone with a double mind, someone who is faking it, someone who is not genuine in the faith. Gosh, we all suffer some doubt sometimes. Do you doubt that God's going to answer your prayers? I do sometimes. Because I ask for stuff that I probably shouldn't ask for. But, uh, uh, and, and I sometimes doubt it. If you're on Facebook at all and you go to my, my site, you'll know that I'm still reeling, rebounding from verse 2 in chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Boom. All joy? Do you meet that standard? Don't have to answer. I don't. Sometimes trials make me irritated. Do you know me? (laughs) Yes. I am impatient. That's the way it's been from the beginning. And it sometimes slips into my Christian life and those things that I do. And I find in the middle of trials and stuff, yesterday my wife plugged in a a little night light at her computer station and blew out two rooms, three Uh, three uh, uh, breakers uh, kicked off and we lost everything, computers and everything. (laughs) And I was, okay, I did not handle that well. I'm not not going to uh, uh, confess to you, but I did not count it all joy when I ran into that, when I ran into that uh, trial. 
And I'm sure that God isn't talking about such small things as that. Trials can be very challenging, but we are to count it all joy. Let's say that I spent a pretty good time since last week or since we opened this study in repentance over that very verse, asking God's forgiveness for my impatience and my inability to get joy in times of testing. May God help me, even in my old age, to sanctify my life for him. But I don't want to hang there. We want to move to chapter two. Chapter two is going to be one of the most controversial of the chapters in here, uh, in the uh, letter of James, because it talks about some things that we're going to be discussing. The word justification, justify, and justification. And there seems to be this contradiction between James chapter two and the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans and Galatians and elsewhere. I have just been kicking around with some of you the term or the phrase, usus loquendi, a Latin phrase that connotes uh, the use of a term in a certain setting and culture that might differ in a different setting and culture. Usus loquendi. And I, I think that what we are engaging is a, an example of that. My atheist friends run quickly to this passage to remind me, yeah, atheist interpreting the scriptures. Don't you love it? I said, that, that's a hoot, I say. No, no offense to the, to the, to the hoots, okay. <laughs> um, um, but it's a hoot that, that uh, uh, atheists who don't believe a word of the scriptures don't believe that God exists at all, and yet they're going to be so arrogant as to tell me what it means. Wow. <laughs> Pretty much the height of arrogance. Um, uh, uh, and they run to this passage to show me that there's contradictions in the, in the Bible. No, not really. There is no contradiction between what James teaches and what the Apostle Paul teaches. But it gives that appearance if you don't examine it. And that's why that we have to be thoughtful in our studies in such books as James. We must, uh, my uh, professor in seminary once said, distinguish the times and you'll understand. Uh, and, and that makes sense in terms of, of um, usus loquendi and some other matters. Um, uh, when we get to uh, anointing people with oil and praying over them, do you do that? Well, I doubt. <laughs> I doubt if you do. Um, uh, uh, but it, it, that's, that passage is in this book too. But distinguish the times. Do you greet one another with a holy kiss? Depends, I suppose. <laughs> but we don't normally practice that in our time. Are we wrong? No, distinguish the times. 
it is not a, 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 a matter of absolute meaning that you have here. You have to place it in its proper perspective, in its proper location, and in its time. All of those things come into play when you're interpreting Holy Scripture. It is not game playing, as my atheist friends would charge me. No, not at all. But it is thoughtful uh, interpretation of the scriptures. Let's read uh, beginning in chapter 2, verse 1. I know we've covered some of this, but I want to read it again. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. That's the lesson in the next few verses. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes... And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Good lesson, but we don't, generally speaking, at least in our church life, we don't have that kind of thing. I believe that our church does well in this regard. We do not distinguish and show partiality um, to various believing people. Listen, my beloved brethren, verse five, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and the heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man Does not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Yes, still true today that one of the ways that the rich get what they want is using the legal and court process because they can afford to. Do you guys realize how much it must cost? Uh, Please, I'm not taking any positions for former President Trump and his legal team? Oh my goodness. Would that I had just a portion of that for my yearly earnings. Uh, My goodness, they must be paying millions for those. The difference is he can afford to do so. I can't. Can I get an attorney for $17.50 and no? They don't come that way anymore. You've got to have money. And in this instance, uh, uh, but you have dishonored the poor person. Does not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? I wish, um, are you all familiar with the way that the Greek cities handled courts? It was fairly readily available. There was a place out in the public square where a what we would call a judge came there, a ruler or something like that. And they came on a regular basis, kind of like court hours. And uh, people could just bring their cases right there. The apostle Paul was drugged before them in that setting. And uh, uh, so it was fairly easy to do. But uh, you had to have some money and they drag you into the courts. Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
you do well. I want to say something about James at that point. He refers to something called the royal law, and then he quotes it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You will note that he did not call the Mosaic law this uh, royal law. It was Jesus' reduction of the law to these two things. You shall love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself, those two things. The royal law. The, uh, what's amazing is that James was a, he was a thoroughgoing Jew, and yet he was a believing Jew in Christ Jesus, and he nowhere in this book talks about all of the details of following the Mosaic Code as some would have it to be. No, he's talking about the royal law and he's talking about something higher than the Mosaic Code. And so that royal law is what he wants them to focus on. You shall love your neighbor as yourself and you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin. Verse 9 and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Is anybody else uncomfortable? <laughs> Goodness. Uh, for whatever, uh, but excuse me, whoever shall keep the whole law, royal or otherwise, or the Ten Commandments, and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Have you quoted that lately to someone that you're discussing these things with? I use it regularly. If you fail in one point of the law, you're guilty of all. Then if that's really true, you ought not to be trying to find completion of your faith in the law. Because you're already guilty of it all. But there is a royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the whole difference here. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. That's the whole point. And then Jesus had the goal, that's a, that's a kind of a jokey phrase, had the goal to say, but if you've looked upon a maiden to lust after her, you've committed adultery already in your heart. Whew, this is getting tough. Whew. So what's on the surface of the Mosaic Law is not the important one, but what's in the heart. What is in the heart of the believer. So speak and do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Now he calls it the, he called it first the royal law, and then he calls it the law of liberty. The Apostle Paul writes about the liberty that we have in Christ. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Put that on your 
uh, living room above the fireplace in your living room if you have one. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Those are good lessons. Those are things that we got to remember that rich people don't own it. And they should be humbled later on. He will talk about that. The, uh, the rich ought to feel grateful that they have been, if you will, put down. But by Jesus Christ, the lowly man of, of Bethlehem. What does it profit, verse 14, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, here we go, but does not have works? Can such a faith save him? Or it says, can faith save him? Can faith in and of and by itself without works save a person? Whoa. Now you know why I'm asking about Eusus Laquinda. <laughs> if a brother or sister, he's going to describe it now, the nature of this faith. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. I use that one too. But someone will say, verse 18, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. James is explaining it. You believe that there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe that and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Wonderful stuff right here. Was not Abraham, uh uh-oh, Abraham, our father justified by works, Boy, the, every evangelical got really uncomfortable right there, didn't they? <laughs> Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith is made perfect? When he took uh, uh, Abraham, when he took Isaac up on that altar to kill him, Did he already have faith? Yes, he did. And the book of Hebrews says that he believed that God was able to raise him from the dead. He was ready to kill his own son based on the resurrection and the promise thereof. He was a man of faith before he took his son up there. That's not uh, uh, James's point. But you you can't claim to have faith if you don't have works that flow from it. And that's the whole lesson here. And the, uh, uh, the thing that kind of messes with our mind a little bit is what we've been discussing up here, the usus loquendi. 
James is using the term justify in a different sense than the Apostle Paul is in Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter, turn there. Would you go to the book of Romans? Romans 4, wonderful stuff because this is the passage that, that James is referring to. Or I should say the event that he's referring to. And here the Apostle Paul. 4.1. What shall we say, uh, what then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, wait, James said he was. He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Put that up on you. Well, I already got something up over the mantle. So put this one in the kitchen someplace or something like that. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And if you don't rejoice in that, when you believed on the Lord Jesus, it was counted unto you as righteousness. You received the righteousness of Jesus Christ. How? By it being accounted to you. You did not. You were not righteous in and of yourself. It was given to you, accounted to you, transferred to you. No, he uses the word imputes, verse 6. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Okay. James is using the word justify in a different sense. The apostle Paul is using it in that absolute first uh, 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 interaction between the repentant sinner and God. He is justified by faith. That is declared righteous is how we used to say it in theology class. Were we righteous? Of course not. Not in and of ourselves as human beings. But we were declared righteous. And when I appear before the Lord, uh, uh, God in heaven, in the judgment, and they say, why should I, I'm, I'm using an old stupid joke, why should I let you in my, uh, through my gates, you know, Peter at the golden gates. And I'll say, because him, because of him, His righteousness is my righteousness. And they'll say, come on in. Because I only have one righteousness and it had nothing to do with me. It was imputed, laid to my account. I even have a good uh, example of that. Imputation. Laid to uh, uh, to your account. Anybody got kids in college? Um, Most of the people here are not quite yet that age, but uh, I had kids in college. I needed to get money to them. I made an arrangement with the bank that they didn't even know about, and I transferred money to that bank into their account. And they would go over there, and goodness gracious, now I've got more money than I thought I had. I imputed it to their account. I, I, I put it in their account over in Champaign-Urbana. 
imputed it. It wasn't theirs, it was my money, but it's now in their account. It's a poor example because we're now talking about righteousness. And Christ, by declaring us righteous because of faith, faith. And we say in the reformed realm, by faith alone. We were justified, declared righteous uh, with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Does anybody feel good with me right now saying that? Do you understand I can appear before the judgment seat of Christ claiming his righteousness? Yes, I'll be judged according to my works, but I I won't lose my salvation because I have his righteousness. It is eternal. If God lies, I'm in trouble. But God doesn't lie. He imputed his righteousness to me. Clearly, James, going back to James, let's go back there, is not talking about that same place. He's not talking about what God does at the moment of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He declares that sinner righteous and imputes to him or her the righteousness of the Son of God. I I can't even fathom that, can you? I don't deserve that. I don't have that. Oh, excuse me. I don't have that personally. But I have it from God. He's imputed it to my account. And that's the whole thing that determines the difference between how James is using the term justified and uh, how the apostle Paul is using it. Uses loquinda, you have to distinguish the times. You have to distinguish how they're using it if you're to fully comprehend it. Or you've got this thing which my atheist friends are apt to say, well, you've got to look at, uh, look at uh, Paul and, and Romans and, and James here. They're contradicting one another. I said, well, okay. Whatever you say, sir. Um, no. They're not contradicting themselves at all. The, uh, uh, the James is, is making a point. If you claim to have faith and you don't have the works that flow out of that faith, that faith is dead. It is not true. It is not real. It is false. Faith produces works in that order, I should say. Justified by faith shows itself by working out in works. And that's exactly what James is talking about. Martin Luther, bless his soul, he's with the Lord now. I I actually believe that. Uh, Martin Luther is with the Lord and, and he was the one that called it a Right, strawy epistle, James, that is. Very lightweight and cheap because he thought that it was a contradiction. 
good old Martin, he just didn't understand Usus Loquende. <laughs> so, if he had understood that. But I, I don't know how he came to do that. I'm, I'm, I have to admit, the words sometimes uh, seem to almost appear that way, but it really has nothing to do with it. James is saying, I'll show you my faith by my works. But you can't show your, uh, your faith by works if you don't have any faith. Faith shows itself by works. Verse 14, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? And then he goes into this thing with uh, a rather dramatic moment. If you've got a brother or sister in Christ and they uh, don't have food or anything like that, and you just say, go, go ahead, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, and you give them absolutely nothing. You're a liar, a faker, and you do not have faith. Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Um, and I can say I'm a great uh, 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 admirer of the Apostle Paul's writings in, in uh, chapters 4 and 5 of, of Romans. Are you kidding? I spend a lot of time there. But if it does not have works, faith by itself, it's dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. How can you prove faith without works? That's what he's saying. You believe that there's one God? Yeah, that's it. That's good, yeah. Now you can hear the response. Well, I believe that there's one God, yeah. And then he comes back and says, James comes back and said, hmm, the devils believe that. What distinguishes your claim to faith from that of the devils who also claim to believe in God? Boy, that really just strikes the, uh, the atheists really bad, you know. The demons believe in God, <laughs> but atheists don't. Uh, that's amazing. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. He's got it in the right order. He's talking about having faith and it has its out, um, whatever you call it, it's outworking in good works. Do you want to know, oh foolish man, he concludes in verse 20, that faith without works is dead, stone cold, dead. Was not Abraham our father justified, declared righteous, or shown to be righteous by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? I already told you that. Yes, I fully agree with uh, James the apostle here, but he's talking about uh, Abraham who already had faith when he took his kid up there. He's not saying that he got credit for his faith by offering Isaac. It is said that it was his faith that was working together with his works, verse 22. And by works, faith, uh, faith was made perfect. The way it should be. And the scripture was fulfilled which said Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God, verse 23. 
You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Uses loquendi. Um, that seems to stand in perfect opposition to what the Apostle Paul just said. The only way you can distinguish that is what is obviously clear to this point from the argument that James has made. He's talking about people who have faith and who has works as the perfect proof of that faith. In that sense, a man is, quote, justified, seen as, considered righteous by his works. Gosh, I hope that's true. But we're also declared righteous by God at faith. I know that's difficult for some to uh, harmonize and everything. I, I have never struggled with that problem at all. I, I don't know why it was, but he, uh, after my conversion, after I went to seminary, I, I understood it fairly straightforwardly, I think, that he was simply saying that if I'm claiming to have faith, I have to have works. And that's what this story, that's what this account of James is all about. I'm, not, I'm going to challenge you to this. Do you have works that complement your faith, flow out of your faith? Each one of you has to answer this question for yourself. I trust that it is true, but I want you to know the hard reality is that if you have faith and not works, I tell some that I dearly love on a private basis, it means nothing. I don't like to say such things. How can you claim to be a Christian and not darken the door of a church? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the practice of some is. You know why I come to church? First off, I love the Lord Jesus Christ, but secondly, I love a whole lot of people here. It's a really a, a, a wonderful place to be among the people that you love. And I believe it's a genuine love. I believe that it's the kind of love that, that uh, um, is unusual. And you won't find it outside of the church except in individual cases like your wife or your family and stuff like that. But boy, here in the community of believers, isn't it marvelous to be able to come in and fellowship with one another? Mm. It is like, um, mm, maybe I shouldn't say that, but it's like the Sabbath rest. I have my own views about the Sabbath, but I meet with the, I assemble with the believers on a regular basis. And uh, For what? Because I'm blessed by it. It is my fellowship. I hate, almost hate the word fellowship, how it's been reduced to some slogan over a thing. Fellowship, coming together and fellowshipping around Jesus Christ the Lord. 
I can say things here to people that I can't say out on the street. They would simply think I'm some sort of nutball. But I say them here. And no one considers me nutty. No. We love the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, we are, quote, justified by works. If we get that in the right way, works flow out from our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And without that, we'll finish the text here, verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. What a somber note to finish on, but a good one that we need to examine our own hearts about that to make sure that, that our faith is attended by the works that God intended when he saved your miserable souls. Ooh, should I say miserable souls? <laughs> Will and I have a contest about who's the most miserable. Okay? He, he is. <laughs> no. Uh, don't you rejoice in the salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ? You guys didn't know me. I was saved at the age of 22, 23. By then I'd had a lot of awful sin. What was God doing? He saved my soul. He found me out. He sent his spirit into my heart and he enabled me to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I have no righteousness to boast of. You've got to be kidding. The one righteousness I will boast of though is that which has been imputed to me. The righteousness of one Jesus Christ. Let's pray. And we will rejoice in it, Lord, and remind ourselves of it every day that Christ went to that cross and he died that miserable death for us. And then he imputed his own righteousness to us so that we are his children. And he cares for us tenderly. And watches over us even while we're still in the world. Even while we, are, while we are tripped up by sin every day. Because we, when we get to heaven, we'll gain that white robe of righteousness that has been imputed to us. We look forward to that day, dear Lord. No more sin. No more breaking your royal law. Thank you, dear Father, for your grace to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much.